So that was our experiment, and that is our experiment, and, and I think it's paid off well. When we do the preliminary work, we see good attendance and good mm -hmm. chats. Um, sure. So like to that end, let's ask, because <laughs> I'm telling on myself here too a little bit. What homework have you done? Like, what are you reading in Web3 space? What's news today, this week? So go ahead. one of the things I saw, which I thought was interesting, the world is kind of looking at the United Kingdom, England, and specifically due to the Queen's passing. But the thing that I saw this morning was a tweet that she, that the new prime minister had put out on from Liz Truss. And it says, we should welcome cryptocurrencies in a way that doesn't constrain their potential. Liberate free enterprise areas by removing regulations that restrict prosperity. Hashtag policy change, excuse me, hashtag policy exchange, hashtag future of freedom, hashtag shakeup. So those three hashtags are great. She's like pointing to the fact that there needs to be some policy around this. The second one's kind of libertarian, you know, the idea of freedom and sovereignty over your economic energy, which I think is is a cool idea and very tied to crypto and Bitcoin. And I think a lot of the people in the space. And then the last one is ShakeUp. She clearly knows that this is going to be something that's new. It's a little avant-garde. And, you know, the first ideas in the door always are going to get the biggest brunt. So that to me was really interesting to see. I mean, you know, the prime minister of England talking about crypto, that's a pretty big deal. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Um, now, I mean, to that end, and I was going to ask you guys this, um, I'm looking and there's some pretty harsh critiques about the Bitcoin rollout in El Salvador. What is going on with the, the crypto experiment, the Bitcoin experiment of El Salvador? What do we know? Jay, you want to take a shot or I'll, I'll go and talk for 30 minutes. You, <laughs> oh, will you? No, I don't know. I mean, I'll... you go for it. I, I feel like I, I, I don't know that much. I saw like one or two documentaries about it, but uh, I, feel, if, yeah, I feel like it was just like slow getting off the gone. Is there something so I, Yeah, no. So I've, I've seen some, I've seen probably some of the similar stuff that you have. Vice has put out, I think Vice put out like a 10 to 12 minute thing where they were just kind of on the ground walking around, talking to shopkeepers, you know, little mm. tienditas, bodegas, and just saying, how is this affecting you? How is this working out? And they were also doing this at the, at the time of the kind of raging bull market where, you know, if you if you had a little Bitcoin and you never played with it before, and then you go to buy something and you realize you have more three days later, that's probably a really cool feeling. More yeah. recently, the conversations I've been having around, our, around El Salvador are Bitcoin also tied with the politics because Bukele has been kind of like, uh, uh, they say, a mano, mano lura, which is like a, a hard fist. And the way he's ruling is really quite, you know, I'm going to come in and there's only one way to do it, right? It's similar to the way that we've seen uh, some kind of strong men deal with with drugs and violence in other parts of the world. That's how he's kind of uh, approached the gang problem, the MS-13 oh, in El Salvador. So I think while he's winning <clears throat> plaudits from the Bitcoin and crypto community the world over, I think he's also causing problems for like the international community in the way that he's handling some of the things uh, around the gangs violence the way that he's approached i think even abortion has been super controversial so there's like multiple things at play here but he's as trying far to as, tackle too much yeah but i i think that that's a like i don't think that that's a problem but in a country that is dealing with inequality and dealing with poverty and then you sprinkle on top bitcoin i just think it gets really interesting but i do know that he has you know he's been buying the dip 
He's continued to do that. He's leaning really? into it. Yeah, he's leaning into it full. Uh, I think the last time he bought the dip was maybe a couple months ago, but you know, he bought it when it was sub 30. And so he's he's been leaning into it, but I do think it's a problem. And like, so I was talking with one of my friends who I did Peace Corps with in Guatemala, and we've traveled multiple times to El Salvador. And he was just basically like, yeah, it's cool what he's doing with Bitcoin, but how do you remove that from some of the other social justice issues that he's kind of raising in the country? And I don't think you can like, you know, take one from the other and you have to kind of take it all, all in the same breath and really try to understand what's going on. So as excited I am for Nayib Bukele, what he's doing with Bitcoin and how he's like, yeah, we're the first country to have it as legal tender. I do think for many in the international community that also maybe aren't as big crypto uh, proponents or understand Bitcoin, it's easy for them to say, you know, that's just a shiny object for him to get people around the world to kind of look over other things that he's doing, which maybe aren't so great and you wouldn't really back. And so for me personally, it's tough because I'm really excited that he decided to use, you know, bring Bitcoin in as a legal tender because I think it's so important for people who are on the fringe, especially in Latin America, but really anywhere in the world, you know, mm. I mean, in Mississippi in Jackson, Mississippi, we don't have running water, right? So the definition of, of, of quote, developing world can change really quickly depending upon where you are. But I think people who are on the economic fringe that are living paycheck to paycheck or whatever their circumstances for them to be able to have ownership over something is really, 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 really important. And I do think that that's what Bitcoin gives. And I think it's open. I think it's opened up a lot of El Salvadorians to that idea, especially El Salvador is part of the golden triangle, which is with Guatemala and Honduras and El Salvador. And historically there has been a lot of, I hear Christine Lagarde has a major crush on him. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, Historically, there's been a lot of in the last like 10, 20, Who's 30 years. Christine Lagarde again? I forget. She's Christine Lagarde. Uh, she is the, is she not the French woman who's in charge of the European uh, Bank? Yes. Am I, I, I could be wrong, but yeah, I, I can almost hear the sarcasm in that, but I, I can't tell also. But, you know, historically, the Golden Triangle has had a lot of problems with violence, uh, corruption, and now they're struggling with the climate crisis. And so you have all these things kind of put together and then you sprinkle Bitcoin on. And I just think it's been a really interesting thing. And I'm still potentially hoping to go down to El Salvador in the next six months because I want to go see what's up. I don't want to hear it through a journalist, through Vice. Yeah. I want to go sit at a tienda, Joe. talk with people and and just kind of see what's what. Well, yeah, let's do this. One is that, three what, of us is that what, what we should do? I, yeah. I'm down. Let's go. I, I, that I'll actually, that actually makes like, the most yeah. sense. 2023, like, not crypto buzz in El Salvador. <laughs> yeah, Roger, Roger, he, Roger's he, coming. He coming to El Salvador with us. Yeah, let's I go. tell you, you know, I tell you what, we should do. We should hold our first retreat, our our mastermind retreat. We'll come up with a workshop. We got brilliant people who care about crypto and talk about crypto in the developing world, developing countries. We'll just do a weekend retreat with some of these people. We'll finally get Jay to do some DMT. And then we'll <laughs> before you came on before you came on, Jay was asking about his DMT retreats. Um, but I think it would actually be quite interesting. Roger says he's down, and we could just like everyone could just pitch. We could workshop everyone's ideas. We could actually walk away with some material so that it's a write off. But you raise a really good point because I'm super curious. El Salvadorians. El Salvadorans, um, they they were introduced to Bitcoin. We understand the storehouse of value. It's digital gold, except it's not. Like they got in at the peak and suddenly they see that, okay, well, we'll take 
We'll take his word for it. We'll transition to Bitcoin. And now I've lost all this value. And people in the developing world who are already dealing with inequality, they're also canaries in the cold mine for a bullshit meter. And I'm not saying Bitcoin's bullshit, but they're sensitive to loss of value. And they'll, they'll exchange, they have no loyalty to things that will lose value. They'll just exchange right away. So I guess I would be super curious on, are they hopeful? Is the average conversation we have a hopeful one? Or is it just another disappointment of this Western idea that should have worked in the developing world, but it didn't work for them? It only works in a stable country. I don't know. Do you think it's proving anything? Go ahead. What's your thought, Jared? Yeah, I was going to say, when I first heard about this El Salvador experiment that Naib was going to announce at Bitcoin Miami, and I believe he did that in, what was that? September of 2020 or September of... 20, no, September of 2021. Got it. I think it was 2021. 2021. It's, yeah, it's barely been a year. When he announced that, I read this long article basically, and it talked about this idea of crypto colonialism or crypto imperialism, which is like this new idea where people from not said country at any country, uh, and ideally probably there's a power dynamic. So you're in the global South, the developing world or the third world, whichever, whichever word is, you know, is it part of your lexicon, but yeah. basically people from Europe and the United States or North America come down to these countries and say, crypto will solve all your problems. This is it. This is it. And you're like not realizing these people are struggling to get water or they don't have food or they're dealing with a famine or, you know, it's their child death. is sick. Yeah. You're missing so many things and you're, you know, crypto can't solve any problems. And for me as an international development professional, and I can now start to probably say that again. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah we, 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 we could talk about that, but you know, this idea that like you can drop down into Guatemala, cause I've seen it a hundred times. You can drop down into indigenous Guatemala or really any part of Guatemala. I'll, call, I'll say rural Guatemala, bring an iPad and solve the world's problems. I, I just hate that. Cause I've seen a hundred people do it. And uh, I always just go back to this toilet example. And it was probably the best example from my Peace Corps. People are like, sum up your Peace Corps in 30 seconds. Here it was. So <laughs> I'm out in, uh, <laughs> I'm out in this, in this rural village called Kiaki, Kiaki Suyo, and I'm not going to spell that. <laughs> and mm. I'm out in this rural village called Kiaki Suyo, and many of the people there speak Kichai. And I remember seeing these kind of two meter by two meter uh, by six meter, no, by like three meter tanks, right? They're water capture tanks. You'll see them all around the world where people are just trying to keep water, whether it's to bathe, to cook, to drink. And I kept seeing these tanks, but they were just kind of like really dilapidated and left. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. So I, when I finally had enough, you know, confianza with the community to say, hey, like, what are all these things? Like, oh, this NGO came over, the Spanish NGO came over in the early 2000s, and they tried to put in toilets for a bunch of people around the, around the community. So they had these tanks and then they had like, they would put like probably like a little outhouse you could build with bamboo or whatever, and then a toilet. Okay. And obviously these things didn't work, right? Because this community has been just going to the bathroom in latrines, which are just holes in the ground for years, for probably yeah. millennia. And that's the way you keep it away from your food or whatever. And so they brought them down and they were like, this is going to be our, our solution. They probably spent, and this is no joke. They probably spent, I don't know, $500,000 in this one village where I worked to try to get this going. But what wow. happened was, you know, if you think about a toilet and this has happened, if you were listening to this and you've ever had a toilet, the float in the back, the chain will break. And when that happens, a lot of people think, oh, it's broken. All a lot of us know, you just go pick up the lid and you attach the chain and you fix that and et cetera, et cetera. Point being, if you can't get toilets to stick as a new technology, 
Yeah. Don't bring down iPads. Don't bring down <laughs> cryptocurrency potentially. Yeah, and so man. that's where the other side of my mind is like, Bukele, at some level, you can bring them cryptocurrency, but if they don't yeah. even have an understanding of the power of this or any kind of context or any idea of financial literacy, yeah. right, which is a base understanding, which is a mindset shift, it does not matter. So go, I'll Jay. Pass, What's your thoughts? Pass Jay? the mic, Jay. I, I love the, the point that you make there, Jared. And because I've been thinking about it a lot, I, I get people asking me a lot more, like, how does crypto work and how does Web3 work and how can you, you know, bring the blockchain into your company? And I used to spend a lot of time like trying to figure out, like, how do you best explain this to, to people? But I okay. feel like I've gotten to the point where I recognize that it's not beneficial to explain how crypto works, how, how blockchain works. And that's because in my mind, the way I see it is knowledge of crypto and knowledge of blockchain is, is a privileged conversation. Oh, like, say that again for the people in the back. <laughs> no, say that again, because we have to hear this. And this goes in with crypto colonialism, which I think is a bit extreme, but is a good watchword. Go ahead. Say that again. Yeah. Knowledge of crypto, knowledge of blockchain is a privileged conversation. You know, it's like how, how many of us know how to trade stocks? You know, you don't know how to do that because there's a privilege that comes along with 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 having that information, how to, mm. you know, make money in, in the real estate industry. Like anybody can buy a home, but can you flip it and, and double your money? Like, no, that that's, yeah. that's privileged information that only a few people have. And I think it's the same thing. Like not everyone is going to have the privilege of being in a position to really understand how crypto works. And I think the faster like we figure that out, yeah. The further along, we can push this thing. Yeah. yeah and I, I want to piggyback on that, but let's look at this comment real quick. This is from Jamarley, who's, and Jamarley just said he's in Antigua. And, um, Word. oh, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. It, 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 was I mistaken there? No, I just saw the Jamaican flag that Roger had posted and kind of blacked that, out. So, my yeah, <laughs> blacked out. <laughs> Wrong, Jamaica. I was like, oh, Jamaica. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, there's some big players in Antigua, Calvin Air. Uh, Roger Ver, most things don't trickle down to the general population. Most people think trading when they hear crypto. This is an interesting view. I wonder what the develop. I wonder what the now Antigua is not necessarily the underdeveloped world. It's the developing world, right? And um, if not developed world, actually, I don't even know. I've never visited Antigua, so forgive me. So it would be interesting to your point, Jay. Like, does the average person in in this example Antigua think trading, and if trading stocks is privileged information it, uh, uh, information coming from the luxury of someone who could sit here behind a camera and in YouTube university, how to trade, let alone stock options, let alone crypto. And so like you're building concepts on concepts. And I think we have to remember that this is not a Lego brick. This is like several pieces put together of a concept that is actually kind of a complicated concept. Um, here we go. Roger says, fact, Jay, crypto is a first world, first world, but first world solution. And he goes on to say, most people in third world countries are just still catching up on technology. And I've got an anecdote like Jared's real quick. We worked in the back, uh, in some backwater towns, villages, not even villages in Haiti, like way outside of Port-au-Prince in no man's land. <clears throat> and water was always an issue. And so we considered, you know, 500K for a well. 
what are we going to do with all this? Well, there's maintenance and and all the stuff. You're you're in it for a maintenance contract if you do anything like Wells. So someone came across this distributor of these five gallon bucket um, charcoal filters, and these are actually functionally simple. We could go to Ace Hardware right here and just build one and have clean water. We set these up, came back to the states for three weeks. And came back and these water filters were on the ground because we had set them up off the ground because, you know, uh, Giardia was in all the water. And so you want to just make sure it's catching some roof water. So you set it up off the ground and then you drink from it. They had the lid off and goats were drinking from it. And you're like, what's going on here? They're like, well, this was for water catchment, right? They were still buying now bottled water and going down to the village, the nearest town to buy bottled water. And you're like, wait, we educated on this. And you, your first knee-jerk reaction is to go, these people, they're underdeveloped and ignorant. And you're like, that is not the case. They're, fo- they're A, focused on other things. Um, and there's a great book out there called Walking with the Poor that rocked me because it taught me that what we think of poverty is a poverty line. In the United States, it's like $19,000 a year for a single individual is the poverty line. That's what we think when we think poverty in underdeveloped, very desperate situations out there. And they said, no, poverty is a time measurement. It's how long they could go from this moment until they find their next meal or their next thing of clean water. It's it, Basically, they're on a ticking time clock of death before they're too weak to keep looking for food. And you're like, I can't even fathom this. And I'm trying to get them to figure out the difference between bottled water, which they're like, I get bottled water. It's clean. But why does this weird charcoal thing that takes like, they're like, I don't even have time to think about this. I'm like looking for food for my kid. And we're talking about iPads and crypto and Wall Street bets. Just get on the subreddit, Wall Street bets. You should be able to figure this thing out, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I don't. It's, it's exactly all the things that, that we're talking about here. And so this does loop back to the idea of El Salvador. And it's just that even if you have this amazing technology, which I do believe that Bitcoin is, if there are all these other issues, it's just going to be pushed to the back. And one of the things I think was said about, you know, Bitcoin being, I think it was Roger. Yeah. Roger saying, you know, it's a first world solution. I think that like when I look out on the world, I don't see necessarily a country being underdeveloped or developed anymore because the United States just takes that and rips it apart. And honestly, most, most countries do in any country, there's going to be a certain amount of area. It could be a neighborhood. It could be a department or a state that will seem a certain way, but next door, there could be an area or a department or a state or neighborhood that will seem a completely different way. And we've seen that in the United States. If you look at Mississippi, yeah, Appalachia. Yeah, Appalachia. If you look at Mississippi right now and what's happening in Jackson, well, I'd rather yes. be in so many other places of the quote developing world where they have water, or at least where maybe the True. government is going to figure out the water solution. I don't think it's going to get fixed in Jackson. So, you know, you don't think it's going to get not fixed. quickly, not quickly. Wow. I mean, do, do they have it water pretty, in Flint? Go ahead, Jay. Do, exactly. Do they have, do they have water Flint? in Flint? No, this is. I don't know. Do they? I don't think so. Not that I know of. Not that I know of. Oh man, someone needs to someone needs to Google it and let us but know. But I do they have water. But no, let's go, go back. Brian actually just put up something. 
Uh, and I actually, Roger, it looks like he has another really cool comment. Um, actually, Greg, can you throw that one up? The education, which one? I wanted to read that one out. I'll yeah, read yeah, yeah. it out in real time. <laughs> the education is still important <laughs> for these people because a lot of these people in these third world countries are losing their assets to people who take advantage of them from other countries. That to me at the end of the day is why I think Bitcoin is really cool. If you have it and you're a farmer and you even just take a hundred dollars, hundred US dollars in whatever currency you're in, and you just put that into Bitcoin. I think it's going to allow you to lower your time preference as opposed to having a higher time preference, which is really what you're talking about when it comes to, you know, your mm -hmm. next meal. But now going on to Brian, so the flip side is that crypto adoption is global. And I do believe who's got this comment because I think he posted a graphic. Yeah, I think he did as well. And it's the crypto uh, global adoption. So if you want to oh, yeah, get analysis, I'm sure that this is just super bullish. And I do believe that the rest of the world meaning the developing world are basically, I don't even want to talk about the developing world, places where your currencies are dying. They're going to latch on to things like Bitcoin and other digital assets where they can store their value on the blockchain, not in a bank, yes. not carrying around gold, none of that, especially if they're moving countries or you know they're moving around. I do believe the United States, Europe, Japan, some of these other places the mass populace is really going to catch on to this last. There's going to be the early adopters, like maybe the, the three of us and some other people who are watching or listening. But I do believe countries like Argentina, they have a real, they have an absolute case study of why they need this thing. Cause they've seen, if you're a 30 year old Argentine, you've lived through two or three massive currency crises where things were so bad in 2001. And this is like a very famous story. Things were so bad in 2001 Argentina with a currency that when you went to get food at a restaurant, Part of this is also because Argentines take three-hour lunches. Um, but when you went to get food at a restaurant, you would pay before you ate because the price could be different at the end. So, oh, yeah, because the currency was in such fluctuation, right? We don't understand That's that nuts. up here, right? I was just in Colombia not even three months ago, and the currencies dropped 20%. That is ridiculous. So people wait, wait, who have wait. lived through that. that one more yeah, time. What, what part? Uh, yo, I was just in Colombia. I was in Colombia two or three months ago and the currency's dropped. It was, it was trading around 3,600 and now it's around 4,400 to the dollar. Massive drop. Interesting. Maybe be more than 20%. Real quick. So Brian's link so that everyone Ooh, has this. this. Brian's, Brian shared this. This uh, And this is a color gradient on a scale of zero to one. So basically 0% to 100%. Of, and there's a whole article on this. The link is in the comments. Um, so like you can see, like, it looks like, uh, well, that's Vietnam. Looks like, that looks like Vietnam has the highest adoption rate, which is nuts. You've got India looking warm. You've got the U S looking warm. You've got, is that Venezuela? Yeah. Venezuela makes sense because the Bolivar died. Mm -hmm. It's dead. It, yeah. It, it, this just backs up everything that we're kind of building here as a thesis where I do think the rest yeah. of the world is going to catch on to this in a more mass adoption than yeah. the United States. I think in the United States, it's going to seem kind of like a niche thing, you know, like, a, oh, Jared's crazy. Grant's crazy. You know, Jay's crazy for a while yeah. because you have the dollar, you have the Canadian dollar, you're on the euro, you're on the pound, you're on a currency that maybe is not going to bleed its value as compared to other things when it comes to their, their countries importing and exporting. Right. But the Bolivar is so, dead. Right. All, Argentine all, all peso is dying. makes sense to me. Right. Like Vietnam yeah. makes sense. India makes sense. In India well, banned, banned it. So like whenever you ban something, people are just going to like, oh, let me check that out. Yeah, that must be good. Pakistan makes sense, right? It is, mm -hmm. it, it is interesting to point out that like desperation, and, and I'm thinking right now of specifically the Ukraine and Pakistan. Desperation and displacement drives people to look for ways to store value like you're talking about, Jared. 
I would think that maybe in something like El Salvador, where it's just kind of like, I mean, things are tough when it comes to the currency, but they found a way to get by in day-to-day living, right? Um, whereas the Colombia is seeing massive loss. I could see, I could see places where it's desperate people jumping to something. And this looks like this article, and 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 uh, Brian could correct me. This looks like it's specifically. No, it's not specific to Bitcoin. It's just saying crypto in general. So crypto adoption yeah. in general. Um, so that that's really that's interesting in the correlation how desperate some of these areas are. Now Vietnam, what is going on in Vietnam that they've massively adopted a crypto? Do they have a national? They have a USBC or something? That's one where honestly I really can't speak to, but I do know that when Axie Infinity blew up. It blew up big, I believe, in Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam in that area, or in mm-hmm. the Philippines. Like Southeast Asia really got into the P2E at the height of the pandemic because they were also a lot of their governments were super strict, a lot stricter than the United States government. So I, I don't, I'm just putting something out there. I really don't know. All the other countries make sense, and the United States makes sense. Why? Because there's so many immigrants and there's so many people that have families all around the world, and you're like, That's yeah, I'll right. just send you Bitcoin. I don't want to deal with Western Union. Um, yeah. Roger well, has well, a question. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Let's bring it up. Uh, So I have a question. If you're still a hunter gatherer, do you still need to use Bitcoin? Lots of these poor people are still on the barter system. They have no use for bank accounts. You know, it would be awesome. It would be awesome that we have some African followers and I would be super intrigued about, um, and I don't know, I think Jay has most of the followers uh, from Africa, if I'm not mistaken, maybe Jared, I know I have very few. It would be interesting if within that network, there were any people who were connected to a tribe. And if there were any way to get hard conversation, even on the show of someone who I might be Maasai, I might be some Ugandan, uh, tribe back there. And this is what our view is. Cause they do use cell phone minutes as currency. Even some of the hunter gatherer tribes, they have found a use um, where they have minutes because they talk to other tribe members. Um, so is there any pure hunter gatherers out there other than like, um, untouched, uh, communities like in the Amazon aside from that, are there other active hunter gatherer communities? I, I don't know. And that's where I think we have to, I think we have to kind of define what a hunter gatherer is because for me, the long-term, one of my long-term use cases when people are like, Oh, why should I care about crypto? Well, I'm like, well, climate crisis is going to continue to make a lot of places where people live really unstable famine floods hurricanes you know the litany of problems and so having a way to be able to put your economic energy into something that you don't necessarily need to carry with you because you can memorize your seed phrase that is going to be huge over the next 20 or 30 years and so in many ways maybe not hunter gatherers but if we look at the huge immigrant and migrant populations that are having to move around because of famine yes. war and everything else that's kind of like maybe the new hunter gatherer someone who's on the move looking to create livelihood for themselves and whatever that looks like and the to answer your question if you're just thinking about a strict hunter gatherer i think it comes down to two things are they if they're not in the financial system then i think bitcoin would be the best thing for them to have as a hunter gatherer it would be something mm-hmm. where anyone around the world whoever they run into or whatever tribe they run into they'd be like oh yeah this makes sense this is a like for like thing it's almost fungible at that point bitcoin is fungible so mm-hmm. you're like we don't even need to speak the same language but i'll give you two goats for you know for a couple for the amount of bitcoin we decide on so i actually think you know for some bitcoin maxis if bitcoin does take over by the year 2150 that's going to be it 
You're just yeah. going to have Bitcoin and then like physical assets and that's it. Or, you know, digital assets, NFTs, other things, you know, like here's my house in Decentraland for one Bitcoin or whatever. But I think Bitcoin is an ideal thing for, for, for trade. And I think that we do, you mentioned we need to define hunter gatherer. Um, there's nomadic groups, right? Like, like, you know, I gave the example of Maasai. Maasai technically are within their own tribe. Or within their own familial group, because the tribe is a larger tribe, but they're still, they got their own familial group. Um, in their own familial group, they might be hunter-gatherer, but there's no barter amongst them. A hunter-gatherer relationship literally is a division of labor, and they don't even barter the berries for the gazelle meat. Like, they don't even trade that. It just goes in the family pot. When those people trade with other familial groups, it's often that currency, so the food or the things they collect as uh, currency, sometimes knowledge is currency, but they are starting to trade the, the phone minutes for relationships outside of the Maasai troops. So when they start encountering other people groups. So I, I think that we would have to kind of discuss what we're talking about, but I think it is an important anthropological technological thing, reference point. I think it's very intriguing because there's like Siberian tribes that they might hunter and gather, but more than anything, they're just nomadic because the seasons are crazy in the Siberian Peninsula. And they encounter other people groups and they want some currency and it's usually the local currency. I'm willing to bet as USBCs come on, they're just going to have a massive adoption. So I think displacement, I think as currencies collapse. So honestly, as you're talking about climate change, I would maybe extrapolate that further mm -hmm. and say global crisis. As sure. global crisis is occurring, that will actually drive adoption with crypto as currency and storehouse of value. But crypto adoption, I think you're right about Vietnam, PDE in Vietnam and Cambodia. You said blowing up and I thought you meant when it crashed. But no, you meant like they were earning real money just playing this thing. Ooh, this is a good question. What do you guys think about this? Would Jay, you, you want to take this one? Ooh. Oh, that's your crypto colonialism. I mean, what is Westernization? Hmm. Well, you, you, I guess you'd sort of be, if you have access to Bitcoin, you probably have access to a whole bunch of other stuff. So it, it wouldn't just be Bitcoin. I guess you, you just pick the one that you want. But like, I, I like what you were saying just now, Grant, about, um, you know, like, um, maybe it was you that brought it up. Like, people are trading um cell phone cell phone credits like like the minutes as as dollars and i'm thinking in my mind like i can understand how that works because one minute has a set value like if it's a dollar a minute you gotta you got one minute that that equals one dollar and i can send you the minute that's the same as giving you a dollar but it, it's unlike cryptocurrency where you know the the value fluctuates and so it's easy to get like one minute means one dollar but how do you explain that it's worth a one dollar today but then tomorrow it might be worth 50 cents and the day after that maybe it's worth two dollars so it, it it becomes this thing of like you gotta be you gotta be in a position of privilege just to understand how it works maybe maybe but well, and this is what's interesting about let's let's extrapolate from crypto as a currency for a second. Let's talk about minutes as a currency. What you're really talking is technological architecture as a currency. And when you talk about minutes as a currency, what you're talking about is my ability to communicate is the currency. 
So what determines the value? Well, the, what determines the value of the ability to communicate, whether it's a ham radio or whether it's cell phone minutes, there's demand for, for the currency itself that it's based on, but then something else could affect that. And that's displacement. Let's say there was a genocide, God forbid, somewhere in Africa and everyone had minutes and suddenly a family wants to check in on its family on the other part of the country, but they have no minutes. Supply and demand drives the value of those minutes because communication mm -hmm. is minutes, but it still backs up your point about privilege because what is caught, what is driving the demand of just the ability to talk to a loved one, which should in some case, someone could make the argument. I'm not, but some, I could see someone make the argument that it's a human right to talk to your loved one, but because we don't have the Western infrastructure in that country, they're just trading minutes like out of the back of a truck to call and check on their loved ones. So it's kind of like price gouging, but I think that would also affect the value of them. And it's more than just the currency moving up and down. So I think, I think it's the ultimate free hand of the market in those scenarios, but I think it's still ingenious to use cell phone minutes. I mean, it's an ingenious alternate currency. Um, where, what other examples do we know of where the people are using alternate currencies to get around a failing currency? What were we doing in Colombia before crypto as the dollar would just tank? Just go to barter? I mean, you, you, you say crypto, you mean Colombia or El Salvador? No, I'm thinking Colombia because of your experience in Colombia of this devaluation of the Bolivar. So, yeah, the Bolivar is Venezuela and uh, Colombia. Oh, yeah, I, I'm only making that. Just I'm only making that because if somebody hears this and they're Colombian, they're like, please do not make that uh, because that's many Colombians fear is that it turns into Venezuela. And it's oh, um, wow. as okay. far as the currency collapse, which is a real fear to have if your neighbors, mm -hmm. if I think Colombia, the Colombian government has been amazing and they've let more than like 3 million people basically come to Venezuelans into Colombia. And, you know, they've been doing their best to help these people find livelihoods, mm. find, find shelter, you know, fulfill some of their Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But I, I think Jay raises one of the biggest points. And this just comes down to investing in general and just understanding kind of how the whole investing works, where you're trying to have a lower time preference. And what I mean by lower time preference, it means, you, you know, when you have a high time pre preference, it means you probably don't have enough economic energy to figure out your next move. So you have like, <laughs> you have less time on your clock, but when it's lower, you're like, yeah, I can take this $10 and put it into this thing, whether it's Bitcoin, it's real estate, it's a stock and let it kind of ride. And I actually don't need that for 10 years. That is the privilege that I think Jay just spoke about, which I think is a hundred percent true. Cause if I'm in El Salvador and I'm running my tienda, somebody pays in Bitcoin and the next day it doubles, but then the day after it goes down by 400% and then it mm -hmm. goes up. Like I don't have the time to ride that wave. I need that to be more stable. And that's where I think the minutes kind of play a role. But I love what you threw in Grant. Cause you're like, no, the value of the minutes is all about the context of the market in mm -hmm. a, in a thing where there is some, some, you know, chaos happening and you need to talk, then all of a sudden the value of the minute increases. I don't know of anything the way Colombians are currently dealing with it other mm. than just trying to accumulate as much dollars as they can. They've, um, through stable coins and there's a couple like actual other different type, basically they're stable coins. I'm not going to make it more complicated, but people have been trying to put their value into stable coins and yeah. buying up real estate. But the thing with the real estate is interesting because the people who need that money, who can't deal with the volatility, right? Who can't deal with, yeah, in 30 years, 
this will probably still be here even if we're all in Bitcoin or even if we're all in the dollar or even if the peso falls and we take something else, they need to get that value. So right now I'm seeing a concentration of wealth as far as people who need that money are selling the real estate, even at a loss. Well, other yeah. people, and I would be one of these more privileged people to come in and say, yeah, I'm going to buy that because now it's at a super big discount. Um, but I don't know of anything else in Colombia uh, other than minutes. I think people do actually exchange minutes that are interesting. You know, so, and, and so we we're touching on a very interesting point that I think anyone would understand regardless of privilege to Jay's point, And that is time horizon. I mentioned that in some contexts, poverty is measured by how long you can go until your next meal. And, um, and, and for those who don't know, I spent a short amount of time in my youth on the street and as a young person, and that's your worldview, you, you start thinking about your next meal and you're like, oh my God. I mean, I have no food insecurity is a very real thing basically. And that, so that's, what's considered a short-term time perspective. And then mega wealthy people think in terms of generations, I can put this gold into this painting or this house or under the floorboards and it doesn't matter. I'm never going to use it. Like, like I saw in Haiti, people would live in dirt huts, but they would dig different holes and put currency in, but it wasn't for them. It was for their kids. It was literally how they were saving. So anyone, any, everyone has a different, everyone understands time perspective though. They all have different time perspectives. My question is this, that's context. My question is this, does it matter if someone was born into the instability, like born in Colombia, it's always been unstable. It's been up, it's been down, it's been left, it's been right. They found a way to get on and they're like, this is not me. This is not my identity, whatever. Do they have a longer time perspective, say, for example, than that someone maybe in my experience in Haiti who might have had some wealth, but then lost it and don't have the, the street skills, if it were, to get by? Is there a difference? Or do you find, is there a difference in that? Do you think people who were just born into it still think generationally? Jay, what do you question? think on this? Mm, I, I guess it's hard to say, right? Like, it, it, it's pretty hard to say. If, if you were born in, into that situation, it might sort of be most of what you know. And like, you, in order to like move into another paradigm, you have to like have evidence that it exists, right? Like most people don't just like, you know, walk by faith kind of thing. You, you That's an epistemological things. statement right there. That's huge. Yeah, Jay, you just dropped the, the mic. If the, if the, if the show ends, you've, you've got your nugget people. <laughs> yeah, man. You got to know it's out there, right? Yeah. You need evidence it exists jesus okay i'll be i'm gonna have to have a drink after this just to process that. yeah grant i i, I want to reframe your question and just put it in a different context i actually don't think it matters yep. where in the world that that happens if you are born into uh, a family or an environment where people are talking about money where there's the idea of, hey, every birthday you're going to get a certain amount of money and you're not going to spend that on some flashy new thing you're going to use for five minutes and we're going to yeah. take it and put it into a bank account. I think being in that environment versus not being in that environment over the long mm -hmm. run, I mean, these are just the ways that like gener generational, you know, changing that paradigm that Jay's talking about. And actually, I sent you guys this. This is a perfect segue. I sent you guys the link yes. in yes. the WhatsApp 
about the new documentary that's called I'll Get drop Smart. it in the comments. You keep going. Yeah, please go ahead. It's the this was just the trailer to a Netflix documentary that's called Get Smart with Money. And it basically follows three or four, and I'm getting confused, three or four financial advisors, and they link up with three or four different people. Uh, some some are like, you know, single people, some are couples, and they basically spend a year with them to take them from I'm not in a place financially where I want to be to I'm in a place where I where I feel much better and I feel like I'm in control of money because the yeah. thing about money and financial literacy is it's pretty for me at least it's pretty binary you're either controlling the money or the money's controlling you and you yeah. get to choose and this this documentary does a really good job at kind of breaking down how that looks and how talking about people's backgrounds, you know, like I was raised in a family where we never talked about this and it was all okay. And yeah, just go into debt. Cause that's what everyone does. And yeah, just get a mortgage. Cause that's what everyone does. And you know, one of the things that one of the women was sharing, she was just like, yeah, like Amazon and target are my death knells because I have no control, you know, I have no control. I have yeah, no, I yeah like, and there's a cognizance of having no control. Um, yeah, but, but I'm going to pass the mic, but I just think that, I think it really just depends in the environment. I don't think it matters where you, bo where you're born in the world, but I think if there's a mindset or you're born in it or, or you're around an environment, or like Jay said, you've seen these things, you know, I didn't know about financial freedom, that idea until 2015, I met a guy and I was like, what do you do? He's like, I surf. I was like, oh, professionally. He's like, yeah, sure. And then that relationship, we still talk today, but he's been financially free. And then he explained to me how the whole thing works. And it took about two minutes because it's that simple. But getting there is a whole different thing. And so I actually am going to pass the mic because I need to let my cat out. First time on mic. So I'll, <laughs> this, I'll is, this is like a regular thing for you. Well, I, he's looking out. at me. I, I'll be back. You guys talk. I can't hear yeah, you. Yeah. Go. go. So, so let cat. me start. I'll ask, I'll ask Jared that when he gets this question when he gets back. But this raises a great question. Not crypto bros. Everyone comes on the show and they think this is only about crypto. And if they've watched more than two episodes, they realize it's more about freedom. And we just happen to zero in on crypto as, a, as the latest means for some form of financial freedom. But this does raise a really good question because for those watching – Jarrett and Jay and I talk a little bit off the mic, and it's more about the paradigms of freedom, specifically financial freedom, in order to have more freedom of personal expression, however you think that. So my question to you, gentlemen, is something that we've never talked about. What is financial freedom to you? Jay, so, you want to go? Jay, please go. Mm, I mean, I guess it starts out by sort of, um... huh, I like it, it I, I guess it it's when you you don't have to worry about paychecks. I think maybe it's the simplest way of saying it. Like most of us right now just sort of even if you're not living from paycheck to paycheck, you are concerned about whether or not you're gonna get the next paycheck. You know? But if you're not if you don't have to worry about your paycheck, like if you never get paid again, you'll still be fine. I think that's financial freedom. And it doesn't mean that you have a lot of money. It just means that you're able to figure it out without a paycheck. And, and this, you know, this conversation is, is, I mean, look at people are flowing into this question right now. Sanjay says multiple streams of income, but passive multiple streams of income. 
Um, and we've talked about that, gentlemen. We could talk about that in a second too. The ability to move around this world with no limitation. That's that's wild because my imagination is huge. Does that mean I get to ride on Blue Origin spaceship? Does that mean I get to go to the bottom of the Mariana Trench? Like, I mean, actually, so you get to do both of those. You get to take the Blue Origin, and then when it goes down, it goes all the way to the bottom of the trench. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, too soon. And, and sorry, Jay. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. And multiple streams of income. I mean, obvious. I mean, I guess that's not so obvious. So, Sanjay, you know what? I would be interested also if you have an answer to this question that we just posted right here. What is financial freedom to you? Also, give us context. Tell us what part of the world you're from. Because I think that I want to know more about your context to your answers. So this would be a, an extension of my 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 question here. What what does those things represent to you? What would you do if you had freedom? Because I could go sleep on a futon, Jay, and get some financial freedom. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> For those who don't know, don't check out Jay's hinge account, which he doesn't have. Because <laughs> and, and, and I confess that I also have slept on a mat and would prefer to sleep on a mat. And Sanjay, just for context, Sanjay said multiple streams of income and he's from the UK. Go ahead, Jarrett. What were we going to say? Yeah, I want to say, I think those inter those answers are super interesting that Roger has given out and Sanjay have given out because I do think for me, the biggest privilege I have is the fact that I have two passports and one of them is from the United States. Um, I have a really good friend of mine and he is from Southeast Asia and he does not have a desirable passport. And so it does not matter how rich he becomes. I mean, on some level, yes, he could go buy. We were talking about how he could maybe buy uh, his, a citizenship eventually, but the freedom to move around and the freedom to have money are two different freedoms. I think if you have both all the power to you, but the reality of it is to go wherever you want in the world, not many people can do that. And Andrew Tate was actually talking about this. He says that he has seven passports, which I find I to be that. absolutely fascinating. As someone who has two and I'm trying to get a third, I'd like to get a European Union passport because then I'll yeah. then I'll be able to do do some different things. But I, I want to push back on it where I, I you know, Sanjay's not on, so he can't really speak too much. You can only put so much in the in the chat, Sanjay. But for me, this idea of passive income, I just think is just the worst thing. It's the biggest snake oil because the people that I know that don't, you know, unless you have a certain amount of money, right? If you have a certain amount of money, you can live off your interest. Like I'm talking like if you have $10 million, yeah. then sure. And you want to put that in a bank and get 3% off, you're still doing really well. Great. But for most people, even when they have their real estate, like grants got going, they've got stocks and they're getting dividends. There does need to be some consideration. It's not a hundred percent passive. And I just think that I've had this conversation with many people who are financially free and they say nothing is fully passive because at any, at any one time, my real estate, this could change, this could change the stock I yeah. own with dividends, the CEO could come out in some scandal and I need to be kind of alert to that. So I think the idea of passive, true passive income only happens when you breach a certain amount of actual liquidity i'm talking millions of dollars or or euros or you know in your pound in your in, in your example pounds but i do think that that's the thing that's sold on the internet and you yeah. see all the on youtube if you start looking at like self you know self-development stuff grant cardone pops out the woodwork and it's not to speak bad of grant cardone but sure, he's like, sure. you know if you give me a weekend I'll make you a millionaire with passive income. And I'm like, dude, that's just not how like, you know, there needs to be more, honestly, proof of work. So And teeth whitening. Yeah. There just needs to be proof, more, more proof of work. So, um, I, when, I, so yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give Sanjay a pass. And, and from this regard, 
I, I think um, we have to have better language for it, mm. but the difference between active and passive income are actually, they're not official tax terms, but they're terms that wealth people use to, to speak shorthand with their accountants. And really what they should say is earned versus unearned income. Um, Sanjay. Here we go. Yeah, Sanjay. yeah. Sanjay's Sanjay. like, suck it. Yeah. <laughs> Sanjay knows the things to say to me. He knows yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. what to say because this goes <laughs> right into, yeah, language. be a validator and you're good for life because now you're yeah. getting that. That is actually the closest, I think. Yeah. Anyways, thank you, Sanjay. I, yeah. That's but, you know, I got to give, I got to show Roger love here. I remember, how old were you guys when 9-11 happened? Do you want to know? I do want to know. I was 14. Okay. Yeah, may, maybe the same. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was uh, uh, I was 20. And I, I was 20 going on 21. And I remember going to a gate at the airport, walking right up to the gate without a ticket. You didn't need a ticket until you got to the gate. And when 9-11 came down, I was so indignant. So I'm laughing with Roger because in some ways – Financial freedom and it's first world problems, but financial freedom for me in one small bit would be I could get around those MFing TSA laws. <laughs> Are you talking about just having a having a jet? Well, either yeah. having a jet or just doing the fast pass, which I could do right now. I just never make time for it or the one check program, but but sure. most likely going to like my net jets and just be like, okay, listen, I could live on a futon with Jay. We could share the futon. We'll take turns washing it. But I need to get on my net jet so I can get around the TSA line. <laughs> just live life on private islands, though. No, no TSA at yeah, all. Man. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, Marley says stay the, on, um, No, finish that. No, finish that thought. So just buy a yacht. Just buy a yacht oh. and, and you know sail from place to place. That's financial. So it's financial freedom escape from other people. Is that, is that <laughs> for a lot of people, financial freedom is, is escape from crowds, escape from other people. Jamarley says the ability to comfortably make financial decisions without negative emotions. That's now, interesting. Can that you, is, why is I, that interesting yeah, to you? Because I want him to unpack that because I'm not I financially free sitting here, but I can make financial decisions without negative emotions now. I think that's a I, mindset, right? Uh, it could be, but Jay's used this term quite a bit and I might throw it in there. That might be a privilege conversation. Maybe. It, well, it could be a privilege or it could be having overcome, overcome trauma. Financial trauma is tough. I know millionaires mm. who still make financial decisions with negative emotions. They're a wreck. They drink. They're snorting Coke. They, not just because they're partying like Wolf on Wall Street but because they have negative emotions around money. Tied to and the decisions around money. Tied to the decisions around money. Absolutely. Gotcha. It's, it's more trouble than it's worth. Um, I've, met, I've met people in those positions. Likewise, I've met people who have had financial trauma, but have become so thick-skinned that they could live on the street and they just do not care. And it's more of a game and a standard of measure than it is provisional. And and those those types of people are unfuckwithable, really. Um. <laughs> Is that the name of your uh, DeFi NFT? Example word. Un unfuckwithable. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, I'm starting. So I'm gonna start my token. Uh, I'm about be... to. If you're listening to this and you can beat me to it, go to DNS domains and check out unfuckwithable.eth because that's something. To, that's something <laughs> to talk about. Um, I I so I wanted to go here. 
You don't have to. Oh, okay. Sanjay said he was 17. I'm, I'm assuming he's referring to when, uh, to 9 11. 9 11. I was always like growing up as a kid, I guess when I was like in high school, you would then, I then watched the movies. And I think Love Actually has this and the second Home Alone too, where you could literally just run up to the gate. Yes. And, yeah. and now you watch those movies mm-hmm. and you're like, wait, you didn't get like your blood tested. You weren't asked a billion <laughs> questions. An ass didn't... cheek swab. Yeah. Like, they what? didn't like ask you a billion things. They weren't like looking at your LinkedIn live to see if you're even like at all in tune with what's going on. But anyways, uh, we actually just had the, what, 21-year uh, anniversary two days ago of 9-11, which is yeah. crazy because yeah. for many of us, at least for myself, it seems like some days it was just yesterday. Um, yeah. That time from now to then is just, it's, it's ephemeral. So yeah. do we want to, with eight minutes left on the clock, I would love us to shift towards what we spoke about Saturday. And for those of you watching, we yes. are starting a Saturday show, which is going to be at 6.30 Eastern time. And we spoke, everyone missed it. Uh, No, Uh, we spoke, I think it's probably on Spotify. Grant, actually, do you have that? I haven't loaded it yet. You haven't loaded it. Okay. Well, you'll have to check back. We'll load it up soon. Uh, Oh, ENS taken. Unfuck with a bull expires. Yes, Brian. Dude, I'm telling you, I was on ENS the other day looking for stuff because I just love owning domains (laughs) and it's, it's picked over. It's like it going, is picked over. It's picked it over. Picked I'm, over. I'm impressed. People are out there hustling, aka bots. But if we <laughs> want to talk about what we were talking about Saturday, because to give you a little background, Jay is working on his Web3 podcast network, uh, the actual tech behind this and how the business is going to run. And we spent the entire hour, Grant and myself and Jay, just kind of asking questions, asking leading questions, challenging one another on definitions, yeah. and kind of diving deep into how do we build a business, but also more importantly, how are we going to build a web three business? Is that going to be different from a web two business? And when we left off there, I don't think we, you know, it was like chapter one of 10 and I don't know if we, how deep we want to dive, but maybe we take the next seven minutes and kind of continue that conversation because we'll finish that conversation or touch the conversation again this Saturday at six 30 and everyone should join us then. I want to direct that to Jay. And from this regard, Jay came with us with a few questions about financing his idea, sales, um, uh, venture capital. So I just want to actually ask Jay, Jay, now that you've had a few days to sit on it because you're a thinker, now that you have um, uh, a few days to sit on it, what were some of your nugget takeaways that have stuck with you since then? Yeah, uh, I'll tell you, Jamali said no. Peace out, Jamali. Good to have you, buddy. Um, yeah, thanks for being here, man. But I, I after after the 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 call, I think I felt a lot more comfortable with like the sales side of it. You know, um, like in my mind, I don't necessarily break it down into two parts, like a B two C, B two B anymore. Like when mm. I think of B two C, I think of it as community building and something that hopefully you can reap in the future but at the moment it's really just community building think of monetization more from from the b2b standpoint and i think that's like a direct influence of based on our conversation but Mm -hmm. you know like i i also like right now the the piece that i focus on more now is is like is around like unique 
value proposition? Like what's the differentiator? So I think having that conversation with you helped me to move past the monetization question and then be able to have the clarity at that point to start thinking of it more as a business rather than, you know, like how is this thing supposed to make money? Like what actually sets this particular business apart now that I know who the customer is? That's really good. That, that I mean, that's a perfect <laughs> takeaway. I, I like that. And we should continue to dial that in um, because it sounds like your idea is still in the early stages. But I think I, I initially, for those watching, I, I said at one point in our conversation, I said, I'm a sales guy and I always listen for how I can pitch my people, whether we're out for drinks and I'm wingmanning you or whether we're sitting down in a boardroom and I'm selling you. Like, it's the same thing to me. But I, I told Jay, I still don't know what I'm pitching. And then he circled around and just really nailed it home with a niche specific, because um, there's problem, agitate, solve is always the framework. In a future of overabundant uh, content that's hard to discover good content, people will start to get narrow and narrower in their niching and, and going for more audio content. I solved that with a Web3 specific podcast app. And it's like, okay, I get that. I, I, let's go sell that. Like, like we can go sell that because we understand the pain. And if we understand the pain, we understand the niche. So I'm excited to talk more about that in terms of like what's next for the business. And how uh, and how you're going to build it or pitch it? That's really good. Thanks for bringing that up, Jared. Jared, what was your takeaway from that? Uh, from our conversation on Saturday. Yeah. So Jay and I, after that, we spoke for I don't know, Jay, forty five minutes. It seemed maybe Dude. an hour. Uh, I know, oh Grant, you had to you had to transition. I think you had some um, family time. Yeah. We kind of one of the things that I don't know if I said it on mic, but one of the things that I just think is so, so, so important because I see it all the time. And it's one of the things I have to walk myself back from is this desire. And this is also totally brought on like NFTs pushed us to the front, which is like, there is a push and NFTs is the worst, right? To monetize a community that doesn't exist. You and said that first and that rocked me. Okay, cool. Because I just yeah. see it way too much. And that, honestly, like I said, is what NFTs do. You come out and you say, we're going to have 10,000 board apes and you're going to pay 0 0.08 ETH, which I don't know how much that is. We'll call it $100, right? If it's $100, now it's a, worth a million dollar project, okay? If, if there's 10,000 of them. Mm -hmm. And you are going to exchange your Ethereum for this thing, which is basically just you're buying into a community that you're kind of creating, I don't know, it's just very, it's very weird. So in web three, I think there's a constant push to do that. But what I'm banking on is that those who don't do that, those who build the community and then monetize, those are the ones that are going to win. Like Steve Aoki, mm -hmm. he's one of the biggest DJs maybe the world has ever known. And yeah. he already has his community. And then he says, hey, NFTs, sprinkle NFTs. I'm going to make some money. I'm going to be able to give back to my community. And I'm actually going to have something to actually give to them. You know, like yeah. I'll Value. have a- yeah. Gary V has done the exact same thing. He had a community and it's a timing yeah. thing. You know, if yeah. you would, if we had known NFTs were going to happen and we met three years ago, I was like, guys, let's kill it. Let's build this not crypto roast thing. Let's get up to whatever. And then let's drop a 10,000. That's the proper way to do it. Right. Yeah. Logan Paul or J Jake Paul, excuse me. Yeah, he yeah. literally took, I think like 68 Polaroids or something. I'm, I might be yeah, botching the number and yeah. then put them up to sell. And the cheapest one is $43,000. And it's just yeah. Polaroids of the dude walking around living life. So 
until you have the community trying to monetize it will work as an exception like Bored Apes does. But if you're trying mm. to always play to the exception, you have a paradigm yeah. that's a little off. So, Ooh, oh, here, this oh is my really God. Good. All right, I'm going to quote what it. Sorry, is <laughs> people, Brian, first of all, my hat is off to you. He says, people yeah. are talking about MVC as opposed to MVP. Minimum wow. viable community. I love yeah. that. I'm going to always attribute, attribute that to you, Brian. That is perfect. But I heard, anyways, a, cor oh, I heard a correlate to this um, from an old school context, pre-crypto. Um, it was about blogging and I followed some of the early bloggers. I remember when Chris Brogan was one of the first professional bloggers in like the mid two thousands and you can find his Twitter. He's still tweeting Seth, uh, Seth Godin was one of the earliest bloggers. I mean, and like, this is when people were making money blogging and, uh, maybe one day when we have our religion episode, Jay, we'll actually <laughs> circle back and talk about when I was a Christian blogger, how my blog went from a hundred hits a month to a hundred thousand hits one month. And how I scrambled to try to capture that monetarily. But the takeaway was Tim Ferriss quoted an article that didn't use this terminology but got at this. The thousand true fans. Have you heard this concept? All you ever need is a thousand true fans on this big blue marble of eight billion people. And the question is if you have not found or if you cannot create over time. A thousand true fans by giving real value, real value. There's something wrong. Like we do the show and, and my hope when we come on the show is that at some point we generate real value. And I think we're getting better at it as, as a unit. Um, and individually, I'm always trying to solve that. How do we offer real value? Because I have not cracked my own minimum viable community yet. And I like how capitalistic that truly is, it, how meritocracy that really is, is have I added that much value? You know, that's a great challenge. Minimum viable community. I think we could close on that. Jeez. Shout outs real quick. And we'll wrap on this. Unless you guys have anything else to add, man. No, that was a mic drop. That was a mic drop. That was an MVC drop. Uh, Jay, what do you got? What are you shouting today? Uh, I didn't think of anything, but I mean, maybe a shout out to, to, Shout out to everyone in the UK who's mourning the passing of the of the Queen. So you know, yeah. just uh, hoping everybody gets through that 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 tough situation for them. Definitely, uh, real quick, and then I'll let you go here, Jarrett. Um, I'm shouting out people in, and and I appreciate you reframing underdeveloped, developing, and developed world. I picked up those constructs because I was trying to get away from third world and first world country because I felt that those were too derogatory. So I, I, I wanted to get away from that. Uh, the East and the West is from the Cold War, believe it or not. Westernization had nothing to do with America or development. It had everything to do with capitalism and, and democracy versus communism. So I would love to have a new framework. So for lack of a better framework, I'll say those in the developing world or underdeveloped world or underdeveloped sections of America, anyone out there struggling to look to find their own privilege, their own access to what we take for granted as it comes to technology and currency and what those things really represent, which is their own chase for freedom. So my hat off and I get a shout out uh, to those people out there. What do you got, Jared? Uh, I want to shout out everyone in the comments. This has been great. I really think the comments today have been just love the quality. Uh, I thought, you know, mm -hmm. it wasn't just commenting to comment, which I think it, there's that 
kind of pushed to do sometimes in social media. You know, I have to leave a comment. Um, and then I also want to shout out the merge because we are in the depths of the merge. So that is happening. And Coinbase is frozen, right? Is it frozen? The world is frozen. That's okay. it. Everything's frozen. Uh, so follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube at Not Crypto Bros. And we'll be back on Saturday at 6.30 Eastern time. So 6.30 New York time. So look out for us there AM in the morning in the AM. And we're going to continue talking about Jay's web three podcast network and probably dive into some other small business stuff. Cause I eventually, once we take Jay off the quote hot seat, I eventually have something that I would like y'all's opinion on. So we'll get to that eventually, but thank you everyone. And we will see you on Saturday. Thanks so much. Look for you guys on Saturday, 6 30 AM. Peace.